flight to quality, I think, is what's going to characterize the several years ahead. And what you're going to need is a superior investment and occupant experience to maintain competitiveness. And that's all about having a solid ESG program that's continuing to advance. Hello and welcome to The REIT Report. I'm your host, Sarah Borgson Quito. Before we get to our guest today, I wanted to let you know about NEREIT's upcoming REIT World Conference. More than a thousand industry experts will be at the event, including investors, analysts and REIT management teams. You'll have the chance to connect with them and to hear from our guest speakers, including former Federal Reserve Governor Randall Krosner and San Francisco Mayor London Breed. REIT World will be on November 15th, 16th and 17th in San Francisco, and I encourage you to register at read.com forward slash readworld. Now, onto the podcast. I'm pleased to be joined today by Dan Winters, Senior Director at Gresb. Dan is going to provide an update on the 2022 Gresb results that were released earlier this month. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. So, Dan, let's start by um, giving our listeners a broad overview of Gresb results and participation rates for the real estate sector this year and how that compares with what you've seen in previous years. Outstanding question, Sarah. Thanks. So, so Gresb has been around since 2009. We've been at this for a long time, moving up upwards of 14 years. So let's talk about a little bit about what Gresb is, where it came from, and then we can dive into the 2022 results and the metrics. So when, when people think about Gresb, it's a framework of ESG best practices. It was created by a group of institutional investors back in 2009. They commissioned a number of academics to come up with what best practices mean from a management standpoint for ESG issues applicable to institutional investors globally. And so what this, this means REITs on a listed stock exchange, large private equity fund managers like a Blackstone or a Brookfield, you know, insurance companies like MetLife or Prudential, as well as investment banks. And the idea is to you know, identify what these best practices are benchmark organizations against peer groups that are like for like, whether it's in the same geography or with the same property types, and then help watch them develop an ESG program and progress it over time. And ultimately, what ESG is, it means business, right? It's risk management and it's opportunities to capture superior business outcomes, whether it be efficiency measures on energy, water, waste, occupancy measures because you've got superior buildings in this portfolio carbon reduction efforts, climate resilience issues, many of these issues and more make up the big tent of of ESG attributes. And so perhaps most important that I always like to to emphasize is ESG is structured non-financial data. It goes to inform how the financials came about and it's very helpful if you're an investor making decisions to help project future financial outcomes. So what Gresb has, the, the power behind Gresb is we have over 200 institutional investors that subscribe to our data, and they include many of the most sophisticated asset managers who invest in REIT stocks. And these are firms like Conan Steers or JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, American Century. And so that's how we got here. And when I think about 2022, and we had just released our results on October 1st, and our participation over time, since we started in 2009, looks an awful lot like the product adoption curve, where you have innovators. And that kind of characterizes the first five years of Gresb. The innovators uh, you know, were stepping forward because Gresb was voluntary. There were a number of REITs that, that joined the benchmark in 2011 and 2012. And that then brought on the early adopter phase 
which was kind of characterized between 2015 and 2020. And then we have this pandemic. So with any new idea, new new product or whatever it is in the industry, right, you got to jump this chasm to get to the early mainstream. And that's where we find ourselves now. So this year, we grew by 20%, which is phenomenal. Last year, we grew by 20% plus as well. Prior in the past decade, it was a good up and to the right every year, every year, but probably 12, 15, 18% growth. But now that slope of the line has really gone up. So what does that mean? By numbers, 1,820 portfolios submitted to the benchmark this year. And there's private equity funds as well as listed companies like REITs. And so from the REIT standpoint, there were you know, very specifically, there were 372 listed property companies around the world that submitted to the benchmark. And that's up 45% from 2020, which was you know, 260 back in the day, and then nearly double from the 2017 mark. And in the past, we've heard that U.S. companies were perhaps behind their European counterparts. Is that still the case today? I think that we're catching up really fast. The U.S. has a, a reputation of being a fast follower, and we're seeing that happen in the data. So I looked at both Asia and the European Union compared to the Americas region. In Asia, the story has been the emergence of China and India into the benchmark. We've gone from a small handful to now 30 in just a two-year time period. Japan dominates. We've got 65 listed uh, JREITs in the benchmark, and they've been doing a great job. In Europe, there's the Nordics, right? So we've got Switzerland, Sweden, and France. They account for, for 30. And then that's balanced by the UK, where there's a significant number of UK-listed companies. And the vast majority of European REITs, if you will, are diversified pan-European, investing across all of the different countries on the continent. In the United States, 87 REITs. And that's a really strong number. It's up from 71 in 2020 and nearly double from 2017. Canada, Brazil, and Mexico bring another 30. So the total in the Americas region is north of 115. In Canada, Brazil, and Mexico, the scores range from anywhere between 46 and 92, and our scale is to 100. And so that's a solid showing from them for sure. And focusing a bit more on the U.S. REIT sector, how did it perform overall and where is the performance strongest? And are there still areas of challenges that they're facing? Well, so ESG is about continuous improvement and progress over time. So when I think of when I look back at the scores in 2020 pre-pandemic, the average score for the listed companies in the United States in the benchmark that year, 67. We flip those numbers around for 2022, and the numbers have gone up. 76 was that average score. Again, it's on a scale of 0 to 100. It's rare for an organization to score below a 50, particularly if you've been in the benchmark for three years or more. We did have a number of, of listed companies, this REITs, show up in the benchmark for the first time this past year. And in general, those scores start to really ramp up in year two and year three. Uh, and so I'm really expecting some additional increases in the, the REIT score in the years ahead. And are you seeing differences across property sectors in terms of how REITs are prioritizing ESG or their achievements? Certainly. So there was a big advance in industrial. Industrial has gone to focusing in and, and, and working with their tenants, and you typically do this through an engagement strategy or with, with a green lease with new tenants that are coming in. And a lot of it industrial is really about breaking through the triple net lease structure to wrap your arms around the overall building consumption data. 
That's something that investors are really concerned about as they look to do carbon footprinting of their overall portfolios. So industrial has really made a big step forward. The storyline in office has been returned to work. And building energy profiles do vary widely. And so we saw a lot of you know, imbalance and I'll call it noise in the system when the offices emptied out and people moved back to their residences and their, multi, their multifamily properties and started to do work there. So that moved consumption from office buildings to multifamily. And now it's starting to shift back. And we're seeing that within the data. Multifamily is also a story of occupant satisfaction and tenant retention. And we're really seeing a lot of growth with data centers and labs, particularly important in this economic environment where we have higher energy costs and both of those property types are big consumers of energy. So operating costs are in clear focus. But across the board, I think the storyline here is ESG has strong momentum of all property types. Cost of capital is up. Cost of energy is up. And honestly, the cost of carbon is up. If you look back over the past five years in the United States, we've had in excess of $100 billion year after year after year of losses due to extreme weather events that are typical of climate change. And the carbon in the atmosphere is now 425 parts per million, continuing to go up at an accelerating pace. So no matter what the property type is, ESG is going to remain in focus for the decade ahead. So would you say that the current economic environment is not really a risk in terms of endangering the gains that REITs have made on ESG? So I've been with Gresb since 2014, and I have walked many, many paths, talked to lots of folks. I see the biggest threat to ESG is inertia. And so in this difficult economic climate, if anything, I think the industry is going to accelerate their ESG-oriented efforts. Superior ESG performance basically means you're implementing business best practices. And at the end of the day, successful business is all about maximizing inputs and minimizing waste. The leaders on ESG, they're able to attract capital at favorable rates. They offer strong products for leasing to their tenants. And the laggards, well, they're going to watch their competitiveness erode. And that's a huge risk. At a company level, it's about attracting and retaining talent. Everyone is suffering from the great resignation, except I will say for Grez, we have nearly quadrupled over the past several years in, in headcount since the pandemic, but also at the asset level, right? Flight to quality, I think, is what's going to characterize the several years ahead. And what you're going to need is a superior investment and occupant experience to maintain competitiveness. And that's all about having a solid ESG program that's continuing to advance. So what do you think are some of the main ESG goals that REITs and commercial real estate could be striving for in the years ahead? Well, I think that there's three in particular. First off is having a GHG emission reduction target. Where the industry is heading are net zero buildings and carbon neutral portfolios. So we know the end result is zero, but to have an incremental target to get you along the way to know how an organization and a portfolio is faring is really a big advance that's happened uh, much more so in our data over the past two, three years, where more and more firms are showing up with targets, but it's not everybody. So that's certainly an area for growth. Second is understanding climate risk exposures and the ability to mitigate those wherever the property is located. The third is ultimately this, we're talking about incremental progress for improvement. And so oftentimes organizations that are in their first handful of years, first two or three years in the benchmark, they have what I characterize are random acts of sustainability, a lead building here, an energy star building there, some green leasing perhaps happening in a particular region or a particular city. 
But you're moving from that sort of characteristic to an integrated approach to ESG within decisions and actions across the entire portfolio. That's really the driver behind ESG. Great. And Dan, we've covered lots of ground, but is there anything else that you think we should mention to better understand what's going on right now? Yeah, I'd like to take a step back for a moment, right? The real estate industry has has shown tremendous leadership on on ESG, sustainability during the overall 21st century, right? So we've got Energy Star buildings. Energy Star was launched in the United States in 1999. LEED came about in 2001, seen spectacular growth, both new construction and existing buildings. There's concerted efforts by the industry for uh, diversity and inclusion. And then there's the explosion of prop tech firms. A lot of funding has gone into prop tech over the past five, six, seven years that's leading to the benefits, you know, that we're seeing those benefits in the real estate industry. And so sometimes real estate is seen as a slow moving industry, but I think it's important to look back since Y2K and, and, and note that this progress has happened. So what we're seeing today is there's a lot of industries out there that are not real estate, but they look at the real estate for inspiration because we've been able to coalesce and move progress and drive this industry forward in ways that other sort of economic sectors haven't been able to do. So they look to us for inspiration. I think that it's important if you're a real estate professional to realize that. And then on a final note, last year, the finance industry set a clear direction, net zero by 2050. Let's break that down a little bit. 275 asset management firms, 116 banks, 71 of some of the largest pension funds and insurance companies from around the world. And we're, like in the U.S., we're talking big funds like California Teachers or the New York Common Fund. And so the two big effects going forward from these net zero commitments by over $60 trillion in capital, the cost of capital, there will be winners and there will be losers as we move forward. It, this is going to show up in, in, in lending for Real estate loans as green bonds continue to get traction and take off, as well as sustainability-linked loans. So the banks, they're moving forward. And then ultimately, these pension plans and the $61 trillion of equity capital, they're looking for partners in progress. And that comes back to net zero buildings and carbon neutral portfolios. Personally, I think the industry can deliver, but you know, let's see. For some people, it feels like we've been working on these issues for a long time, but in many ways, we're only at the end of the beginning. Great, Dan. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Sarah. I really appreciate being here. And to our listeners, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe or leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.